You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Proverbs chapter 8. We've all heard people say um, what is becoming of this world, and I'm sure that in your course of your travels, you've heard that that statement many times, and maybe have even said it a few times. Uh, where are things headed? What is becoming of the world? And as we march towards uh, what I think many of us are calling this new normal or new normalcy, and um, uh, where where are things going? How are we to process these radical changes that have taken place? You know, this morning I was thinking about how to introduce this message. And, you know, it dawned on me that, um, you know, think of all of the changes that have taken place since Christmas time. You know, Christmas was only four months ago. And just, you know, think of the radical changes that have taken place since Christmas, or for that matter, just three months ago. And some are confident we're all going to get through this, but uh, wherein lies this confidence, you know, and what and what does this confidence rest? I mean, when I when I hear folks make these confident assertions, and I I have as I've um, as I've been about in the uh, in the um, throughout the area, I've heard these confident assertions made, and and I often wonder when people make those confident assertions where their where their hope rests, um, because oftentimes I hear people make these confident assertions. And I don't hear anything spoken of God. Um, I don't hear God mentioned at all. And um, whenever I hear that, I, I ask myself, wherein lies their confidence uh, to say that, okay, everything's going, we're going to get through this. Now, one of the, our texts, I mean, the text that we come to this morning is really one of hundreds of texts which show the believer where his or her confidence rests. Where are as a, as a believer? Where does our confidence lie? We're going to see that this uh, uh, that Proverbs eight speaks very um, uh, very confidently and very bold, boldly about this. It'll take a little bit of work to develop it this morning, but um, um, this this work I think will be uh, will be um, uh, well worth it. So this morning, what I want to do is uh, plow through the hard work of looking at. Uh, looking at Proverbs 8, and then from there, uh, make a few points of reflection. So I imagine everyone has found their place now in Proverbs 8. Um, I'm just going to read the the, uh, the entire chapter. Proverbs 8, beginning with verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels 
and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil, and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule, and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first before the beginning of the earth, When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Father, uh, with our books open, with your word open. And Father, we ask that you would be pleased to open our hearts, that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, and that, Father, you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds in such a way that, Father, you would impress your word upon our hearts, that you would brand our hearts, if you will, with your word and with your truth, O Lord. And, O Lord, we pray that this would be an encouragement as we think about the time that we're in, as we think about what we're going through, how quickly we have been brought here, and um, the great changes that have taken place. Help us, O Father. Give us skill to meander through this life, O Lord. In other words, give us your wisdom. But, O Father, give us more than your wisdom, as we'll see, for you offer us much more than wisdom. So, O Lord, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You'll notice in verse 1 that our text begins with uh, two questions. That is chapter 8, verse 1. There's two questions. Does not wisdom call, is the first question. And does not understanding raise her voice? Now, if you're familiar with Proverbs, you'll understand that chapter 8 actually is a second wisdom appeal, if you will. And now, what do I mean by that? Well, 
the first wisdom appeal comes all the way back in chapter 1. And what I would like to do is kind of compare these texts. So if you would keep your place in chapter 8 and turn back to chapter 1, I think you'll find, uh, you'll find this quite useful. If you keep your place in chapter 8 and you turn back to chapter 1 and verse 20, and do it in such a way so we can flip back and forth. We're going to flip back and forth a little bit here in the next couple of minutes. Chapter, uh, keep your place in chapter 8 and turn to chapter 1, verse 20. And in chapter 1, verse 20, you'll read the words, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. And if you look back again to chapter 8, 1, there we see the words, Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? And what we have here in chapter 1, we have a, an appeal, if you will, uh, a lot of outlines, a lot of um, uh, commentaries will refer to this as the first wisdom appeal or wisdom's first appeal. And then when we come to chapter 8, we have wisdom's second appeal. Now, some of you have heard me say this many, many times when the scriptures repeat themselves. What exactly are the scriptures up to? What is the Holy Spirit up to when he repeats himself? It's not that he has a stuttering issue, that's for sure. Why does he repeat himself? He does it for emphasis. It is for emphasis. And there's much more than that going on here. But let's just, let's just start with that. Now, before we move on, I want to make a couple of quick uh, observations. And the first I want to make is that wisdom is personified, uh, is personified in chapter 8. Now, what do I mean by personified? If you listen to the word personified, you can hear the word person in there. So, uh, person-fy, if you will, uh, personify. Wisdom is here being described as a person. Uh, wisdom is crying aloud. Wisdom is raising her voice. Now, crying, raising your voice, these are things that real persons do. And the second thing you'll note, and this is really fitting for Mother's Day, ladies, you're going to love this, is that um, wisdom is being referenced as a she. Um, so you'll see that the, the, the that uh, here uh, wisdom is referred to as she. In the markets, she raises her voice. Now, the reason for that is because the Hebrew word is actually feminine. And the pronouns, when the, when the pronouns are brought in around the Hebrew word, uh, you know, of course, feminine pronouns are going to be are going to be brought in. Um, so we'll find these pronouns to be in the feminine case. She, her, uh, when making reference to uh, to uh, wisdom. Now, our our similarities between chapter one and eight continue. If you compare chapter one, if you if you look at chapter one and verse twenty one. And you compare that to chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Let's start with chapter 1, verse 21. At the head of the noisy streets, okay, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. And if you compare those words with chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portholes, she cries aloud. So what we have here is uh, wisdom is calling. Uh, wisdom is, is crying, if you will. In chapter 1, she's calling out the noisy streets, uh, the entrance of the city gates. In chapter 8, she's on the heights beside the way, uh, at the crossroads, at the gates in front of town. 
Now, there's something here I want to point out to you that I think the modern translates the translations cloak a little bit. You know, the ESV, which many of us have in chapter 8, verse 2, it reads, on the heights beside the way. Now, if you see that, uh, some of our translations will differ a little bit there. The ESV says, on the heights beside the way. Whereas the old, the King James translation reads, in the top of the high places by the way. And I, I think, the, I think the, the King James translation is more revealing there. Um, and in fact, if I just might say, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in the King James translation, and I just find it to be a little bit more uh, thorny, and I really think it's it's something that we need today. In many ways, uh, uh, we have sanded down the edges of the gospel uh, so much. Uh, uh, the, the, the King James translation, I think, is much more revealing here, um, where it says the tops of the high places. Now, why am I making a point of this? Well, if you... If you read the Old Testament, especially if you read the history books of the Old Testament, uh, if you read uh, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, for example, or 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, there's a recurring theme that you'll, you'll encounter, and it's the high places. What takes place at the high places? Well, that's where the false gods are being worshipped. That's where the shrines of the idols are, are uh, being set up. And... Uh, uh, there's a constant reference to these high places. And I, I think the King James is spot on here because when you read the King James translation, it reminds you of those high places. And uh, there is certainly a religious connection to wisdom, namely uh, whether we embrace her or we, re we reject her. And make no mistake about it, wisdom is in pursuit of idolaters. Uh, she is crying she is pursuing. She is going after them. She is calling for them. And the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this, this call by issuing not one appeal in chapter 1, but by a second appeal in chapter 2. Now, if you turn back with me to chapter 8 and verses 4 and 5, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5, there you'll notice that she calls out to... Uh, Namely, to, to you, O men, I call and my cry is to the children of man. Verse 5, O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Now, there's a play here, and the text is really going for the jugular. I mean, it is really going for the jugular. Wisdom is personified as a woman who is calling out to men. Now, this particular, um, this particular uh, point really doesn't come out real strongly until chapter 9. Uh, we won't get to chapter 9 this morning, but I am toying around with maybe visiting it next week. But uh, 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 certainly there's a play here. Wisdom is being personified as a woman, and she is calling out to men. And in our verses, we see that there are two types of men that are being called out to, namely the simple ones and the fools. And it's important. You'll, you'll meet those categories of people throughout the, the book of Proverbs over and over again. The simple, the fool. The simple, the fool. Uh, you also meet with the scorner. You'll meet with the wise. You meet with a few characters. But over and over again, you're meeting with the simple ones. You're meeting with the fools. And there are certain certainly religious connotations to these as well. Uh, the simple one, for example, is one 
who lacks commitment. Uh, the simple or uh, those who lack commitment. You don't have to turn there, but listen to Proverbs 14, 15 uh, with me. It reads, the simple believes everything. The simple believes everything. So this, the simple are those who are easily misled. Uh, they're easily misled. And they're easily misled because they lack discipline. Um, and you don't need to turn there again, but, but listen, I'm going to read the entire verse this time. Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. So the prudent in this verse are being compared to the simple. And the prudent has the discipline to think things through, whereas the simple are just tossed around, back and forth. And it has been well said, if you, if you don't believe in God, then you, you, you will believe in anything. You know, whenever I'm speaking, speaking about the simple, it, I always think about back to the days when I was doing ministry out of Columbiana County Jail. And there was a, a young man who was incarcerated at that time, and um, I, he, he attended every service that I led. I mean, he, without fault, uh, this kid was in every service. And I thought things were going really good with this young man until I happened to be, I was called out there for some reason, and I happened to be out there, and uh, I saw that there was a group of um, Jehovah's Witnesses meeting out there, and wouldn't you know who's in the front row of the meeting? It's, it's this young man. And I'm thinking, what in the world is he doing? Uh, what in the world? What, has he lost his mind? And I said something to one of the, one of the correction officers. I said, well, what's Rob what was Rob? Is he is he converting? What is what's going on with Rob? And and the officer kind of grinned and said, "Well, Rob shows up for everything." And you know, here and it's just a classic technic, just a classic textbook example of the simple who, you know, is being just misled. Um, you know, uh, easily misled. One who believes uh, everything. Um, they're easily misled because they 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 have no prudence. They're not thinking things through. Uh, the second uh, category is the fool. The fool is the person who is in continued opposition towards the Lord. Uh, one writer puts it this way, quote, The fool is the person steadily opposed to God's covenant. And there, of course, you can see um, you can see the religious connotation to that. Who is the fool? The fool is the one who is um, steadily opposed or continually opposed to God's covenant and his covenant promises. Uh, so the fool rejects the Lord, and the fool is rejecting uh, God's covenant promises. Now, again, uh, we can note the, the religious connections here. Uh, the simple is vacillating back and forth, back and forth, over here, over there, uh, showing up for this, showing up for that, and all over the place, lacking prudence, lacking commitment, lacking dis discipline, uh, he is never grounded, if you will, in anything, while the fool is in continual rejection against the Lord and his covenant promises. Now, back to chapter 8, if you look again with me to verses 4 and 5, there wisdom is calling out to you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So to the simple, wisdom says learn prudence. And Prudence, of course, is wisdom. And prudence is the ability to use skill and good judgment and the use of one's resources. Uh, it's, a, it's accompanied by the ability to govern and discipline oneself, uh, especially discipline oneself by reason. 
if you will. And, um, and wisdom says to the simpleton, basically, come, let us reason together. Uh, learn prudence. And to the full of wisdom says, learn sense. But wisdom not only cries out to the simple and full, but in verse 4 we see wisdom cries out to the children of man. Uh, to the children of man. And that is wisdom is crying out to everyone. Uh, indiscriminately. Uh, to men, women, and children. She's crying out to everyone. And she's running into the marketplace. She's running to the city gate. She's running to the busy, noisy streets. She's in pursuit of the lost, the idolater. And she makes her appeal in chapter 1. And then she makes her appeal again in chapter 8. And in the following verses of chapter 8, we find her second appeal. If you look at verse 6, wisdom cries out, Hear, uh, hear, for I will speak of noble things, or I will speak of excellent things. I will speak of what is right. Verse 7, for my mouth will utter truth. Verse 8, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. This should especially appeal to us right now. I don't know about you, but if you're, are you losing your appetite for twisted and crooked speech? I mean, um, I, I think I can speak for everyone when I say that. Uh, wisdom, I mean, this is such a breath of fresh air. The words of my mouth, verse 8, there is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Twisted and crooked words come out of a twisted and, cro and crooked and perverse heart. Uh, but here we have, we have righteous words, and there's nothing twisted, and there's nothing crooked in them. And this should especially appeal to us. But notice the words are locked. If you look at verse 9, the words are locked. They're locked. Uh, wisdom's words are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Uh, but they're locked to everyone else. Uh, the, the door of wisdom only opens to him who understands and to those who find knowledge. In other words, wisdom's words are only straight and right to those who have found wisdom um, and embrace wisdom. Uh, rejection of wisdom's words uh, puts you in the dark. It puts you in the dark. And a continual rejection against wisdom words keep you in the dark. I could put it another way. I could say it this way. Rejection of the Lord puts you in the dark. And a continual rejection of the Lord keeps you there. And someone might say, you know, that sounds a little bit like sharing the gospel. Oh yeah, sure does, doesn't it? Uh, it sounds a lot like sharing the gospel. Um, more on this in a moment. If you look with me to verse 10, wisdom cries, take my instruction. Take my instruction. And then um, she goes on to say it's better than silver or gold in verse 10. Verse 11, it's better than jewels. It's even better than all you may desire. Go ahead, let your imagination run wild and think of what you des think of something that you desire. Uh, wisdom is greater than whatever could come to your mind. It's better and greater than anything that you could, uh, that the heart could even imagine. Verse 12, I, I wisdom dwell with prudence. Verse 14, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight, I have strength. Verse 15, by me, kings reign. Verse 16, by me, princes rule. And verse 18, riches and honor are with me. Verse 19, my fruit is better than gold. Verse 20, I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice. So wisdom is calling. Uh, she is calling out to the simple. 
She's calling out to the fool. She's calling out to the children of man. She's calling out to everyone indiscriminately, crying out here, for I will speak of excellent things. Crying out, I will speak what is right, what is true. What, there's nothing twisted or perverted in my words. And that, uh, uh, and, and furthermore, crying out, take my instruction and knowledge. It's better than silver or gold. Anything you could possibly desire. Riches and honor are with me. And then when we get to verse 22 and following, something quite fascinating takes place. And I, I don't mind sharing this with you. It was yesterday morning, actually. Um, I had been working all week long on preaching from Second Peter but it was in my devotional time yesterday morning where I just happened to be reading Proverbs 8 and verses 22 through following. In those verses, the Lord so profoundly spoke to me that uh, after a, a short time of prayer and following, I'm like, okay, I got it. This is tomorrow's, this is tomorrow's uh, message. Uh, what takes place in verses 22 and following is absolutely fascinating and absolutely incredible. If you look at verse 22 with me, the Lord, there we read about wisdom, concerning wisdom. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, or the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, the first of his acts. Verse 23, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Now, what is this? Um, is God's is this simply God's insight? Is this simply God's intellect? Is this simply God's wisdom here in these verses? Well, whatever it is, it was with God at the beginning of creation before the earth was created. If you look at verse 24, when there were no depths, when there were no springs, verse 25, before the mountains, before the hills, verse 26, before the Lord made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. You look at verses 27 and 28. Wisdom was there when the Lord established the heavens. I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, and when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Listen to that incredible language. Uh, where the Lord, for example, drew a circle on the face of the deep. Uh, what is that about? It, 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 it wonderfully describes how the Lord shaped the earth. I drew a circle, or I compassed, if you will, uh, the face of the deep. That is, he fashioned the shape of this earth. And he put up the skies and fastened them there. You know, he, he lifted up the skies, and there he fastened the skies. And... Uh, uh, he puts the skies up there. He sets the limit to the ocean's powerful waves. Now, many of us like to watch the ocean, and you watch those waves as they as they come in. And especially if you're a place where there's rocks, and you can watch those waves pound against those rocks. Those waves go to where the Lord has assigned to them, and they do not dare go an inch further than that. Uh, he is in complete and total control of those powerful waves. And in verse 30, we read these words. Then I was beside him, like a master workman. Uh, the Hebrew of this verse literally reads, I was beside him an architect. I was beside him an architect. Or I was beside him a masterful workman. That's literally what uh, this reads. What is this? 
You know, is this simply an attribute of God? Is this simply God's wisdom? The second half of verse 30 and verse 31 is quite insightful here, where we read, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So wisdom is said to be God's daily delight. Wisdom is said to rejoice before him always. Now, we could say, okay, this is wisdom. And here the Lord is delighting in wisdom. Does the Lord delight in wisdom? Absolutely he delights in wisdom. But then we have to ask this question, well, how is it that wisdom is rejoicing in the Lord? Now, could it be just poetry? Could it just be poetic? I mean, in a sense, if you embrace wisdom, it will rejoice with you because it will pay back dividends. I mean, if we live wisely, we will live better. And in that respect, wisdom will pay back dividends. And we could say poetically that wisdom is indeed rejoicing. But the language is far more powerful than that, isn't it? It's far more powerful than that. So much so that I think we need at this point to quit asking, what is this? And we begin to start asking, we should begin to ask, who is this? Who is this? Without the light of the New Testament, we might be tempted to conclude it's simply God's wisdom. But as we run to the New Testament, we make a great discovery. And that's why I went to John's Gospel this morning. You know, in John's Gospel, and if you keep your place in in Proverbs 8 and you turn to John's Gospel with me, uh, to our earlier reading this morning, um, there these, these words are powerful. And I know just as Proverbs 8 spoke to me, uh, on, as the Lord spoke to me in um, Proverbs 8 um, so powerfully. Now, what I mean by that, and especially those of you who know me know exactly what I mean by that, for the benefit of our, our visitors, I didn't hear audible words. What I mean is my heart was really moved as I was reading these words. I was really moved with the presence of the Lord as I moved as I read those words. And on more than one occasion, I've been equally moved by the prologue of John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 1, really verses 1 through 18 there, but primarily we're going to look at just verses 1 through 3, where we read these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, in this verse, John's speaking, he's speaking out of eternity. You know, with the words, in the beginning. I mean, it makes you think of the first sentence of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, in the beginning, John is speaking out of eternity, if you will, before anything was created. And out of eternity, John tells us, was the Word. And out of eternity, the Word was with God. So, God is said at this point, okay, reading this through, God is said to be with someone. And out of eternity, before anything was created, God is said to be with someone. And in the beginning was the Word, and we're told that the Word was with God, and we're told that the Word was God. Now, and of course, we we understand that this is the eternal Word who was with God. We understand that this is the second person of the Trinity, as we call Him. This is the Son of God who is with God. And it is the Son of God who took on flesh and came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't the only place in the New Testament where we get this information. Paul, you don't need to turn there, just listen as Paul speaks in Colossians. He says, speaking of Jesus, 
that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And listen to this line that comes next. All things were created through him and for him. Saying the same thing as John says in his prologue. You know, through him all things were made, and without him not one thing was made that has been made. Um, Colossians, all things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul is speaking of Christ. Paul says that through Christ all things were created in heaven and earth. All things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things, including you and I, hold together. Now, you don't need to turn here either, but just listen for a moment. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, listen to verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now, with this light from the New Testament, we go back to Proverbs chapter 8 and we ask, who is this in Proverbs chapter 8? And I submit to you that it's none other than the Son of God. It is Christ, Christ himself. And with this in mind, let's, revi let's revisit Proverbs 8 and verse 30 and 31. In verse 30, we are really, in essence, taken behind the scenes of creation. We're taking back behind the scenes of creation. And there we see the Father with the Son right beside Him, like a master workman or a master architect. And there we see the Father's delight in the Son. Proverbs 8.30 says, I was beside Him like a master workman, and I was daily His delight. There we see this ecstatic delight that the Father has with the Son. So the scene is like this. The Son is beside the Father, and the Son is the Father's eternal delight. And furthermore, the Son, the Son is rejoicing before Him always. The Son, in turn, rejoices before the Father always. And here we see that it's with great delight in each other that the Son and the Father create the earth. And this brings me to a couple of points that I want to make this morning, and then I'll wrap this up. First is, it's with a static delight in each other that the Father and Son create this world. I mean, it's with a static delight we see that the Father and the Son create this world. And the Holy Spirit's involved in this too. In Genesis, you know, chapter 1, verse 2, we see that the Spirit is descending over the, over the deep, if you will. He's hovering over the deep. But He's not in view right now. In, in, in Proverbs chapter 8, it's the Son that's in view. That's why I'm focusing on the Son so we see it's with a static delight in each other that the Father and Son create this world. And my point here is, because if we look at what the Father and the Son go through, and we look at this ecstatic delight where they delight in each other as they're creating the universe, as they're creating this world, as they're creating this earth, they're not going to turn their back on it. They're simply not going to turn their back on it. And if you'll let me con conjecture for a moment... I, you know, I had a thought on this that I've never had before. You know, I've always believed that that Proverbs eight speaks of Jesus. That, that's that I've, I've I've believed that for many years. But here's a thought that I never had until yesterday, and this is conjecture on my part. 
So just take this one as, okay, this is just conjecture on my part. But in light of this, in light of the fact that the Father and Son are so delighted in one another as they're creating the world, I think this is why the Lord has made conception of children so wonderful and delightful. I really do. Because the conception of children, it's to, be take, it's to take place within the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. Otherwise, it's perverted and twisted. But when it takes place in the covenant of marriage between a husband and wife, conception of children is beautiful. Um, and I think, I, that, again, this is conjecture on my part. So take it, you can take it or you can leave it. Um, you know, this is just Rick speaking. But the scriptures are very clear. The Father and the Son are delighting in one another as they create this world. And with a static delight in each other, they create this world and they're not going to turn their back on it. It's just simply impossible. It's not going to happen. Now, this is great comfort to us as we go through this global pandemic, if you will. Second point I want to make is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rejoice and delight in their people. If you look at, if you look at Proverbs 8, verse 31, it tells us that the Son rejoices, or wisdom, if you will, rejoices, wisdom being the Son, the wisdom personified is alluding towards the Son, the Son, capital S-O-N, rejoices in this inhabited world and delights in the children of man. So, what the Son rejoices in, we, we can be rest assured of this, whatever the Son rejoices in, the Father rejoices in, and the Holy Spirit rejoices in. Okay, so the Son, here we see the triune God is delighting in the children of man. Now, this is nothing other than the love that God has for his people, which Jesus displays upon the cross when he suffers and dies in our place. In fact, listen, if I, if I juxtapose Proverbs 8.31 with a famous passage like John 3.16, let me just, you don't need to turn to John 3.16, but just let me read them together to you and just listen. Proverbs 8.31, For the Son was rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How tremendous is that? That, 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 that should be rocking you to the core. Um, if it's not, then ask the Lord to rock you to the core uh, by it. And don't let him go until he does. If you're in Christ this morning, the Son delights in you with the love that is described both in John 8 and John 3.16 and Proverbs 8.31. And this provides us with skill in answering what will become of this world. This gives us skill in answering the question, where are we going? Where are we headed? And embracing wisdom, actually, is to embrace Christ. And this will lead you out of darkness. I mean, those who embrace these truths are those who've embraced wisdom. And these also will be considered considerably less anxious right now over the present pandemic. Uh, that's why the Christian really should be pretty calm through all of this. Uh, really, um, this, this really shouldn't be rocking us in, in any way. But the door is locked until Christ's opened it. 
until he opens it. Unless we receive Christ, we will remain in darkness. But here's the good news. Jesus delights in opening the door because he delights in his children. Look at Proverbs 8.31. And there you see his delight. He's delighting in the inhabitants. He's delighting in the children of a man. There you see he delights. He delights in his people. And this should, if, if we're not in Christ, this should give us this should give us impotence to put our faith and trust in Him. And may we also take notice, lastly, of the mercy and patience of the Lord, namely in offering a second appeal to, to, to wisdom. Wisdom offers her first appeal in chapter 1. And then she does it again in chapter 8. And that speaks of the mercy of our Lord. You know, He could speak once and have and, and given us one chance for salvation. And that would have been gracious. But our Lord... And his mercy and his condescension, he calls out a second time. Uh, once in Proverbs 1, a second time in Proverbs 8. And wise men do receive Christ. I've seen that on a billboard somewhere, and I believe that it's true. Wise men uh, do, receive, do receive Christ. So in conclusion, this is no option. Receiving Christ is no option. It's a matter of life and death. If you look at Romans, or if you look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 35, there you see that the words, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You see that? I, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. If you've found Christ, you have life. If you've found Christ, you have a future. If you've found Christ, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how discomforting it may seem, or what suffering awaits, you have a great, incomprehensible future ahead of you if you are in Christ Jesus. And that gives us skill to steer through this pandemic. And if you look at verse 36, there you see the gravity. You see the gravity of it all. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And again, the King James translation, I have one open right here. Uh, I'll read that passage to you in the King James. Uh, chapter 8, verse 36. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. He wrongeth his own soul. And all they that hate me love death. There's, a, 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 there's almost like two steps here. Uh, in, in rejecting, uh, in rejecting, uh, wisdom and in rejecting Christ, first of all, we injure ourselves or we wrongeth our soul. In other words, we deprive ourselves of all of the blessings that we would otherwise receive uh, in this life. And in doing so, we bring about all of this pain, suffering and heartache uh, in this life only to reach another stage. And that certainly is death. Um, it leads um, it leads to death. So it's not an option. Without Christ, there is no life. And and with wisdom, we must publish this in the streets, the marketplaces, the high places, everywhere. Uh, to the fool who rejects us, you have no future without Christ. You have no future without Christ. Um, so to the simple, get prudence. To all people, embrace Christ while he may be found. And everyone, and everyone, and everyone who comes to Christ in saving faith discovers that he not only calls us to come to him, but he actually delights in us. And that's the discovery that we make as we come to him, isn't it? He not only calls us to come to him, but he delights in us as we come to him. Heavenly Father, we so thank you and praise you, Father, for this word. 
We so thank you and praise you, Father, for the light of the New Testament as it shines down upon Proverbs 8, and we see that there's far more going on, far more being talked about than, than simply wisdom. But there we see the Son of God present as co-creator, as creator, or co-creator would be a bad word, as, 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 as you participate, O Lord, as you participate in the creation. Uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each doing their roles as one God creating uh, all that there is. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that, Father, you have given us these glimpses behind the scenes of creation where there we see your delight. We see your delight in one another. We see the rejoicing that you have within the Trinity. And we see your delight in, your, in the children of man. We see your delight in we, your people. Oh, Father, may this uh, make its impression upon our hearts. Press these truths upon our hearts this morning, Lord, and give to us, O oh, Father, skill to work our way through this pandemic, O oh, Father. And may we do this, O oh, Father, for your glory. And Lord, we pray that all who will hear this, O oh, Father, if they have not put their faith and trust in you, that they would put their faith and trust in you, O oh, Father, while you can be found. There is no guarantee that there will be a tomorrow. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.